Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or PodcastOne.com. Thank you so much for subscribing and listening each and every week to all the great rock interviews that I bring to you that, as usual, are being brought to you courtesy of Sirius XM Satellite Radio, where you can hear my show, Trunk Nation, live daily, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Volume, Channel 106, nightly replays, 10 to midnight Eastern, or full shows, audio, video, and more on demand on the SiriusXM app. If you are in the U.S. or Canada and you don't already join me daily on SiriusXM, please consider doing so. You're only getting a tiny sample of what I do, talking rock, and of all the interviews that I do on a regular basis, daily on Volume Channel 106. Don't forget, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, nightly replays, 10 to midnight Eastern, every weekday, and audio, video, and more on demand on the SiriusXM app. And if you're looking for personalized videos for you, or for someone as a gift, I am on Cameo. You can book me at Cameo.com. Please do so at the website versus the app on an Apple device. That will cost you and I extra money. So just go to Cameo.com, find my profile by searching my name, and you'll get all the details there. And hopefully I'll be uh, making a cool video and sending a message out to you or someone for a gift. All right, so we have uh, social media as well, at Eddie Trunk. You know the deal on that. Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddietrunk.com. I think I already said that once. <laughs> I had a technical glitch and had to do this open twice, so if I repeated myself, I'm sorry. Um, interviews, that's what you're here for. That's what I bring you each and every week in the world of rock and metal. And I've got two big ones for you, two great ones by two amazing guitar players. Both happen to have the same first name. Today on the podcast, John Five and John Petrucci, of course, of Dream Theater. Both of these interviews took place about a week apart. 
Uh, Petrucci was on my show, Trunk Nation, on volume to talk about his new solo album, which features Mike Portnoy on drums, his second ever solo record. That will be the first interview you hear, and the second one on this double dip of guitar greats with John Five. And uh, look, John's a, a, a great, great friend and uh, has been on my show, radio, TV, countless times. We are still great friends to this day. And we talk about John's brand new great live album and concert film uh, and a bunch of, more, you know, when it's John, we talk about a, mo- a bunch of uh, more things beyond just his own career as well, because he's such a great music fan and has contributed to so much great music. So John Five second, John Petrucci first, two great guitar players, two great conversations. Enjoy. It's coming up on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Uniform professionals sign up to serve causes greater than themselves. If you've ever served in the military, law enforcement, firefighting, or frontline medical communities, check this out. You are eligible for free membership at GovX.com the greatest online shopping site for Americans of service like you. And boy, do we appreciate you, especially now. Your job demands a lot from you, from deployments to long shifts and the dangerous situations most people don't have the courage to face. And there's a reason why GovX believes service-minded patriots like you deserve special recognition. And man, do you ever. I've said it many, many times. You folks are the real rock stars. And GovX.com delivers the deals on all the gear you need for your on- and off-duty life. Register at GovX for instant access to discounts on epic brands like Oakley, Yeti, Garmin, Vortex Optics, Benchmade, Danner, and more. This site was built exclusively for the men and women who serve our country and communities. That's why every month, GovX supports nonprofits serving the military, first responder, or law enforcement communities. We don't just thank you for your service. We honor it. So sign up. It's fast. It's easy. It's totally free. Become a member today and use Trunk, T-R-U-N-K, for $15 off your first order of $50 or more. GovX.com, savings for those who serve. Use my last name, Trunk, T-R-U-N-K, for $15 off your first order of $50 or more. That's GovX.com. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. JP. Hey, what's going on, Eddie? How are you, man? How are you holding up through all the madness? You you just been hunkered down on Long Island, or what are you? What have you been up to? How's the family? Everybody's good. Everybody's good, thank you. Every, everybody's okay, and yeah, I mean, we're pretty much doing what everybody else has been doing. Um, yeah, as you know, it was uh, worse in the beginning of the year. Um, you know, but uh, we've been getting through it. You know, it's weird. It's just weird not seeing people for so long we only just started you know even my mom and my family who live really close we only just started kind of 
getting together. And even with that, we're very cautious. So yeah, we're in the same boat as everybody else, but thankfully everybody's okay. How about you guys? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm in Jersey. I'm lucky. I've got a second home at the Jersey shore, a small place. And I spent a lot of time there and it's, you know, I feel for the people that are in small places or live alone or in a little apartment. Uh, I'm lucky yep. enough. I got two different places and, you know, when somebody in my family gets sick of the other one, we can go to the other house and get a little get a little peace for a couple of days and vice versa. And of course we spent a lot of time together as well, but it's uh yeah. So, it, you know, I've got, I've got no complaints. I'm still able to work. So that's important as well. And obviously, I, I mean, wh- how is your beard game? Cause last time I saw you in person, your beard was <laughs> legit. And now in lockdown, I am, have you just let the thing go? Go? Is it like to the knees or what's going on with the beard game, John? <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, you think you think by now it's like a few feet long. Well, see, the thing the thing with happy, having a uh, epic beard, Eddie, that's very important is you you have to like control it. You have to style it. You have to trim it up. So you know you can go like just the full let it go, but that's that's a certain look. I like to kind of have a a bit of a style to it. I, I I have a barber that I love, but I couldn't go to him during the pandemic. So, you know, I also know how to do it myself. So it's long. It's definitely mighty, but it's it's under control. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so wimpy, man. I can't, I can't, you know, I did that. I bring that up because last time I saw you, the beard was legit. And I also was yeah. thinking like, you know, I'm, no one's going anywhere, and you know, Jesus, half the time I've done this radio show practically in my underwear or from the gym or stinking or whatever, because you're not seeing anybody, so you're just letting stuff go a little bit. And I, I right, can't right. grow shit on my face. I, I've tried. I get to a certain point, and it's just like gray stubble, and I'm like, this just looks stupid, and I end up cutting it off. But I can't. There's got to be maintenance. You know, I was talking to Zach Wild about this once. And Zach was telling me, like, he meets fans and they, like, want to touch it and stuff. It's like, hey, this is part of my face, man. You can't do that. Scott Ian has talked about <laughs> it. Yeah, guys have very pronounced uh, beards that, that they've had weird fan moments that have, uh, you know, made a move for the beard. That's so funny. Yeah, it, 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 it's definitely a, something that runs in the family with me. And, like, my son has an epic beard. My brother has an epic beard. You know, some people can grow them. Some people have trouble, but yeah, yeah. You know, people wanting to touch your beard and stuff. That's a little weird. Weird, right? (laughs) You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, speaking of letting it, letting it go. I did like my, uh, truth be told, uh, and maybe this is obvious, but I usually color my beard because it would just be fully, I don't know if it'd be fully gray, but it looks a little funky. Uh, (laughs) You know, and, and so for part of the pandemic, I was experimenting with that. I was like, uh, all right. Yeah, it let it get pretty gray. And then I was like, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John. Well, thanks for calling in, man. Good talking to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, so actually. Yeah, so have yeah, you been able yeah. to. Um, so, so the record, your first solo record, Terminal, not first, your second, but your first in 15 years, Terminal Velocity, it's out now. Were you, were you um, making this prior to the lockdown? What's the timeline on this? Right. So um, not really. I mean, I had a couple of songs that um, I, I had written already and that I was playing 
um, live actually for the last few years, like on G3 and at my camps. Um, but a majority of it hadn't been written. So I had planned on doing it in March. Stream Theater was on tour all last year. We, we came back just before the pandemic hit, like February 24th or 5th or something like that. And I had a little bit of chunk of time. So I'm like, I'll start, I'll work on the solo album. And then the pandemic hit full time and everything got postponed and canceled. So I was like, all right, now I have this chunk of several months and I'm just going to dive in and get it done. So I started right in March. I went March through May straight, you know, went into the studio five days a week and uh, wrote five new songs, uh, recorded the couple songs that I had written already, resurrected a really super old song from early nineties and got it mixed and done. And, and so, you know, in a lot of ways it was really helpful for me getting through this because Outside of the four, four walls of the studio, it didn't really matter what was going on, um, you know, pandemic-wise. It, it was a good, cathartic uh, experience working on music, you know. It was definitely positive. So you really did it right in the, the heart of the pandemic coming oh, yeah. down. I mean, you're talking April, May. I mean, that's when the lockdown was serious. I mean, I've said I this know. a lot. I think you're going to... We're we're going to see. I mean, you got your record out, but I think we're going to see a barrage of music coming as soon as things lighten up a little bit more. Because every artist I'm talking to that's so used to being on the road, and and God knows with Dream Theater, you you tour all the time all over the globe. All of these guys and and women are writing or recording in home studios because they've got nothing else to do. So in addition to a ton right. of live shows, I think we're going to see more music than you know what to do with. I think so too. I think so. I think there's going to be a major renaissance, uh, you know, starting like, you know, very soon I bet and going into 2021 big time. Um, you know, I mean, for me, it's like, I, I never have time like this to focus on, on a, a side project or a record, even my first solo album. Um, I had to do piecemeal. That was 15 years ago. You know, dream theater was like so active, of course, even back then. And, uh, I'd find a couple of days here and there, and then we'd have a tour coming up and, uh, you know, it's like having this kind of chunk of time was really helpful for me getting this done. And I'm sure people, uh, you know, like you said, so many people, kind of pivoted their whole mentality and went into creating music because that's what we love to do. And you're not going to sit around doing nothing, you know? Um, and it's a, it's a good way to, to make a positive experience with the time, you know? Do you have a home studio? Did you record this at your house or did you actually get to, you know, go out to a, a studio and, and, and work remotely somewhere else? Well, I, I do have a home studio, but um, actually Dream Theater has a uh, legit studio kind of headquarters that we built um, that's really very close to my house. It's like 20 minutes from my house. So uh, just me and my engineer, we're, you know, the only two people we'd meet here every day. And, uh, you know, I did it there. So the cool thing is I had access to, you know, a legit studio. Um, and I, I didn't have to do it kind of like in my basement, little project thing. Um, I, I could do it for real in every sense of the word. So that, that worked out great. Just having this space like done and built, 
you know, in advance, uh, obviously not anticipating what would happen with the pandemic, but, uh, you know, that actually worked out incredible for me. Why was now the right time after 15 years for you to make another solo record? Uh, obviously this was in your mind prior to the pandemic. It wasn't, even though it was done during the lockdown, right. it wasn't necessarily a product of that. So why after 15 years did you say, you know, I've got, I've got another solo record in me. You know what? It's, it's something that had been like building. I, I, you know, a couple of reasons, I guess. I would get, first of all, I'd get asked all the time in interviews, like almost the number one question, like, "Are you? <laughs> when are you going to do another solo album?" Like, and and I knew I would do one eventually, but my excuse would always be like, "Well, I would love to do one, I just don't have the the time, you know, to really get it done right." So it just, you know, more and more was kind of building that uh, it's really something I should get on top of, and then you know with different G3 tours I did. And I'm starting a couple of years ago, started to do these guitar universe camps where I play. It's kind of like, again, I'm sort of playing the same material uh, that I was playing 15 years ago. So it kind of brought it more to the forefront, like would really be great to have new material and get this done. So just little things like that led up to if I don't do it now, this is never going to happen. This, this was even before the pandemic because earlier in this year, like we had a little bit of a hole in our touring at a few months, you know, a couple of months off. I'm like, I'm going to get this started because when am I ever going to have a, a year like this? And then of course the pandemic hit and that even further cemented it. But yeah, it was just all those things kind of put together, you know? So, so on base on the record, you got Dave LaRue who played, with you previous on the first solo record, right? Yeah. Dave played on my first solo record, um, suspended animation and on tour with, you know, for so many G3 tours, I've played so many shows with Dave LaRue. It's not even funny. Um, and, and that first solo album, when it came out, my wife and I started a label. We put that record out and sold it out of our garage just, on CD and that was the only way to get it. So, you know, up until about two months ago, I guess, just prior to uh, releasing my first single from this album, we actually made it available digitally and streaming for the first time. So it was kind of cool getting that one back in the forefront and people can hear Dave on that. Um, so yeah, but, but Dave, I have a ton of experience playing with and then, and then on drums, you got this hack named Portnoy I never heard of. Can you uh, tell us a little something never. about? <laughs> <laughs> never heard of that. Who, who's that guy? He just I don't know where you found this guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, obviously oh, that is a, a huge significant thing here, especially to the Dream Theater fan base. Talk about the decision, sure. you know, because I, in the last few years, and we've talked about this, and Mike has been on with me, we talked about it. You guys have been on social media together. You're connecting around the holidays. There's obviously been a great vibe, right. and now, now it's culminated with you uh, doing having him play drums on the record. Talk about that decision a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like there's a little bit of when I was deciding um, who should play drums, and you know, it's it's funny. My family is like right away from the get go. They were like, "You got to have Mike play on it." Yeah, they're like right on top of it. Um, they, yeah, our families are close. You know, all this and, and our kids and everything, and you know, just they immediately thought it would be like a, the perfect opportunity. And I knew that if I asked Mike that he would do an awesome job, I, I knew that, 
but there definitely was that part of me that was like, I also know if I do this is going to be, is it, is the story going to be more about Mike and I playing together and less about my solo? Like that was my ego part getting in the way, you know, is it going to just shift to not being about the music? And, uh, honestly, Eddie, one morning, like during this, you said this whole thing was in the, in the thick of the pandemic. I woke up one morning and I was like, man, like life's too short. I'm just going to ask Mike. I haven't played with him in 10 years. I knew him since I was 18 years old. We're in a band together, 25 years. You know, he, he told me in a previous phone call about something else unrelated. You know, when I told him I was working on my solo album, he's like, you know, if you need me, I'm here. And so I just called him up. It's like, Mike, you want to do this? And he was like, yeah, I'd love to. And, uh, were, and that's how, you- that's how that happened. John, were you worried that, so your concern about him being a part of it sort of overshadowing that it's your record and it's your vehicle, has that happened? Mm -hmm. Because now the record's been out and you've been doing press for it. Has that fear come to fruition or is it, do you feel that that's sort of, you know, it's sort of been, you've addressed it and and people are looking at it as your record, that it didn't overshadow it? Well, it it happened in a good way. It happened in in a really positive way. I don't think it overshadowed the album because, you know, the response that I've been getting so far has been wonderful. People seem to really love the music, which is great. You know, it's like I didn't want to wait 15 years for another solo album and have it be crap. (laughs) Like I knew I had to to deliver the goods, you know, uh, when you wait that long between albums. But, you know, the the way that people kind of responded to to Mike playing on it was just in a really positive way. Like, what what was overwhelming to me was that this, there was this general expression of joy and happiness, like to just see us doing something musically together. And yes, that became a big part of the, the focus, but not in a bad way, like kind of in a cool, positive way. You know, no drama, controversy, any of that stuff seemed to sort of just not be part of it. And so then when the actual music came out and people heard it and, and you know, it, it it sort of like delivered the goods, if you will. Um, then it, it all sort of like worked together as just being, you know, two positive things about it. They love that we're doing this together and it gets what, you know, they love the music too. So t- to me, it was a win-win and uh, turned out to be, to be really cool and, and really happy with that decision. And Mike did a killer job on the record as did, did Dave. Those guys are just fantastic. See, I would think when you told me your, your your hesitation or consideration when you were thinking about using Mike, I would think, and I'm surprised that, that, that this was where my head was going, that your biggest concern would be, uh, especially given the Dream Theater fan base, which you know better than anybody, oh, geez, this mm. is going to open a whole can of worms. Were you yeah. worried about that no, at all? Because, I mean, you know how yeah. the fans are, and they get talking, and and de- and, and further to that point, did you talk to the other guys in Dream Theater before you made that announcement, especially Mangini? Did you have to have a, a talk yeah. with him at all? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and that was definitely a concern because the last thing that I wanted was to open up a whole can of drama and controversy. I mean, that type of thing wouldn't be fair to Mike Mangini. He's been the drummer in Dream Theater for 10 years now. And it, I, it would also create like a weird negativity around my release, which... I want it to be really positive, you know? 
So, mm-hmm. yes, I was definitely concerned about that. And, yes, I did let Mike Mangini know in advance, like, hey, just want to let you know, you know, I'm doing this. And, and you know, he was really cool about that and uh, respectful. And, and that's the way I handled it. So, so, yeah, those two things were concerns for sure. But um, I tried to get out in front of that in any sort of interview I did and said and let people know, hey, don't take this, you know, as any other anything that it is that just might Mike playing on my solo album. You know, it's a, it's a fun project. It doesn't mean anything else uh, other than that, you know. And so people have been really cool and respectful about that. And, and like I said, I think the vibe surrounding the release has been really positive. And as far as I can tell, and, uh, you know, I try not to consume myself too much with comments and social media and stuff. But as far as I can tell, uh, people have been real respectful of that. And, and uh, that's great. And I said this before, but it's great for me because I get to play in Dream Theater with Mangini and play on my solo stuff with Portnoy. And, you know, I'm, I'm like living in two great worlds over here. <laughs> it's a guitar. Well, player. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you, I I agree. I I mean, the vibe I've gotten from it since since it happened, and yeah. you know, of course, being so close with Portnoy, I mean, I I think it has been a really good thing across the board. I think it has really been balanced. And the thing is, this, like you said, you, I mean, uh, Mangini is also in his own right such a ridiculous beast of a drummer himself, and has really exactly. been embraced by Dream Theater fans as well. So I think that in a way from the dream theater fan perspective, it's almost like, Hey, you know what? It's kind of like, we've got two great worlds going on here. We've got, you know, (laughs) we've got Portnoy who was obviously a huge, huge, huge part of the band. And he's kind of back in the fold a little bit in terms of working with John and, you know, and, and they all now have seen in the last 10 years, what, what Mangini is able to do. So it, it, I, I get, you know, and I'm not deep into the world of the dream theater comments and social media and all that, but sure. I, I think that that's the vibe that I get from just in talking to fans as well. I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. There's nobody on the planet. I don't care what band you're talking about that uh, it, it doesn't create some juice and interest. If there's a reunion of any kind, that's why reunions happen. But from your fan base, right. I get the sense that everybody is pretty, you know, pretty happy about this all the way around that it's a good time right now. I agree. I totally agree. And, and I love that. I love the positivity around it. I mean, you know, the world is in like a really messed up place right now. You know, yeah. the music industry has been hit hard, really hard. Um, everybody's trying to figure out how to survive this. And there, there is a need for and a hunger for positivity and good vibes and, and good music. And so the fact that this has been you know, received that that kind of reaction just makes me really happy. I think that's awesome. People have been so cool about it. It's kind of like, you know, like my decision, like I said, you wake up, like life's too short. Like, who, you know, that other drama and stuff is not important. You know, we can get good music out there, play together as friends. Um, then that's what it's all about. So, and that's, that's also the reason why, like this album came out on Friday, digitally and streaming first um you can pre-order the lp and cd but they they're not available until october 30th and my reasoning i even talked to mike about this he's like oh why are you doing it that way i'm like i just want to get the music out you know it's like i don't want to wait till the fall till almost november it's done we can get it out digitally 
you know, it's still technically summertime. It's a positive album. Let's get some good, good vibes out there and just share the music. So, um, that was part of that decision as well, which is a little unconventional, but you know, well, that's the business now. It, it's the wild west. Everybody is doing stuff different ways. Yeah, and right, right. God knows <laughs> what's right or what's wrong. The thing I like about that is one of my big problems or, or, or criticisms I have with the way people put out music now is it's all, everything's front loaded. Uh, the, the few weeks yeah. before the release, get the pre-order, push, push, push all the fans buy it. The first week it comes out. And by week two, it's forgotten by doing the way yeah, you're doing it. True. Maybe when you put the physical out in October, it gives it a whole nother spike because knowing your fan base, they're going to want it physically as well. Even if they've heard it streaming. Well, I, you're a hundred percent right. So that, yeah, they're, you know, there's some uh, some nice strategy there, whether it happened accidental, accidentally, but you're, you're totally right about that. And the interesting thing, Eddie, to me was when I was talking about doing this, I mean, you know, doing guitar instrumental music for me, uh, being a dr- member of Dream Theater for so long, like guitar, the guitar instrumental side of me, like my solo career, it's kind of like it's it's just a fun labor of love type of thing where I just want to get the music out and share it. And initially I was just going to release it digitally. I was like, yeah, I'll just, you know, we'll be out, be out on Apple music, uh, iTunes, Spotify. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking to my son, he's 24. He's like, yeah, you know, that, that sounds right. Nobody really buys CDs and everything. And, and that was my plan. But I, you know, I, I did this, uh, this deal on my own record label through the orchard music distribution. And we got to talking, they started talking to different suppliers and they, they wanted physical. And I'm like, okay, that's surprising. Like they wanted CDs and LP and LPs and in talking to it, to them and some other people, we kind of realized what you just mentioned. Like, I think it's kind of genre and fan specific where they do want physical uh, versions of it. So you know, I, that's probably not the same for everybody out there. You know, maybe it's not the same for pop artists, but with this no. kind of music, it works. So, you know, just staggering it in this way, I'm, I, I'm sure you're right. So it's kind of cool to do it that way that there's probably going to be, as that becomes closer to the date, another spike, which which is cool. And it's a good way to keep this whole thing going all that time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because you're right. People come right out and they buy it and then it goes away. And, and you know, as a result, sometimes you get like good charting from doing that, but which doesn't really mean anything, but you know, it's, it's surprising that it just kind of comes and goes so quickly. So I like the idea that there's an extended time, you know, to uh, make people aware of this. Yeah. Well, you get the chart splash in the first week because it's all the pre-orders and then everyone bought it. And right. I tell, I say all the time. And then the, then the press release goes out from the publicist. I see it all the time as well, where it's like, Hey, the highest entry. And then you look in the third <laughs> week, the record's been out and it's literally off the charts. And you're like, wait a minute. It's what what happened to artist development? What happened to keeping it going? And it makes me right, really happy right, to. Right makes me really happy to hear that there was a demand for physical because I'm, I'm a CD lover to this day and I still want my music that way. And, uh, there's other people on the vinyl kick. So that'll be great when that comes around, uh, to get it in that format. So I love the fact that there's a lot of diversity in it. Like you've got a a lot of different styles of playing, uh, on here. And I'm curious for you making an album of instrumental guitar music as a writer, as a performer of it, 
what's the biggest challenge? Because I would imagine, sure, everybody knows you can play great, and everybody knows you're you're in a major band that play. They all play great, but keeping the interest and and maybe keeping the casual person who's not a guitar head like myself who doesn't play still hooked in and interested in the record would be a big part of the challenge. But when you go into making an album of, of all instrumental music, what's the approach? What's in your head about that? Are you trying to, uh, you know, appeal to a lot of different people and try to show different sides? Or is it like, Hey, this is just what I want to do. And I know it's only going to be a certain audience that's going to get it. You know what? There's a couple of things you, you kind of touched on probably the main challenge for me, because it's like, I want to be interested in this too. Like there's a lot of instrumental music out there. Um, but there's not for me personally, maybe other people are different. There's not a lot that I like look forward to listening to. Like, you know, I'm doing something, I'm at the gym, I'm driving or something. I want to put on this record because I love it. Both, you know, vocals or no vocals. And so for me, it's like, that is one of the biggest challenges making it uh, an hour long of guitar, bass, and drums, where the focus is just ma- mainly on the guitar, doing everything, all the melodies, all the solos, everything, um, to make that something that is actually something that people want to listen to, that's enjoyable, that's moving on an emotional level, whatever that may be, um, and that sounds really good. So that that's like the biggest challenge in writing uh, the music, and I think I'm my toughest like critic and listener because as I'm writing it and you know, if I start to get bored (laughs) listening to my own music, if I don't get that feeling of excitement and, you know, getting the chills and all those things, then I know other people won't. Um, the other thing is also, you know, as far as being a part of the guitar community and like a student of guitar, just loving the craft of it and loving to play is that I want, the fun of doing that to come across. And that's part of doing these different styles, you know, whether it be blues or Latin or gypsy jazz or metal, or, you know, pop punk. I mean, I, all that stuff is on there. It just kind of shows these different sides of me that express, you know what? Guitar playing is fun. I love doing it. And then I want to share it with you guys. Um, so, you know, the getting that across to people is also another challenge, but I think that's the type of thing that happens more, organically probably as it's going along um but yeah those are probably the two biggest ones there's two tracks that jumped out at me that i want to ask you about you mentioned the blues there's a track on here called out of the blue which is you playing you know bluesy style i i I thought that was brilliant i mean i i love all the shred stuff as much as anybody but i also love when the guys that can do that slow down and just bend a note and bring that bluesy approach and i i thought that was such a cool track Uh, on the record. Can you tell us a little something about that one? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, There's a whole bunch of different styles on the record. I mean, it's mostly like a metal uh, sounding uh, record as far as direction. Um, Andy Sneap mixed it, who did an unbelievable job. Just such a big fan of Andy. And it has that sound that I was going for in the metal sense. And, and Mike delivered that on the drums, but the few moments where I do, you know, like uh, snake in my boot or in some moments in Gemini or in out of the blue specifically, um, you know, that's a side of my playing that, that I like to do that I've done forever, you know, whether it's like in just jam sessions or when I'm by myself or, 
or, or, or on stage improvising, but it's not a side you hear in dream theater or that would really be appropriate for that. So to express that on a solo album, is just an opportunity to, to, it's not, it's not only to bring that side of my playing to the forefront, but also of my songwriting, because, you know, writing something that's blues based, that's still something original is a challenge as well. And so like, I'll do that in a way where I infuse other stylistic elements to make it just not straight ahead blues um, or not straight ahead shuffle or whatever and change it up. And again, that's the thing we talked about before, keeping it interesting, like keeping it fun to listen to. And like, you're not sure what's going to happen next, but man, some of my favorite players, like, you know, whether it's Gary Moore or Robin Ford or uh, Carlos, I mean, he's got that sort of like, blues kind of vibe on guitars it's just so much fun to play and so expressive and yeah I'm, I'm glad to include it on on this album was there ever a consideration to have a song on the record with vocals whether you or somebody else sang them because there's a song on this record that i like a lot and it's called mm-hmm. the way things fall and when i hear right. that song the the and again, I'm not a musician in any way, so I'm just listening from a fan standpoint. But it, it, to me, yeah. a song like that, I can almost hear verses on some of the, like the way you're you're playing the chords, the the, the melody. There's a great melody to it, and I'm like, you know, I'm not a songwriter, but I can almost hear words going over this part, you know. And I I know sure. that's probably the approach you're going after because you want to create melody with the guitar. But was there any ever any consideration in a song like that or anything where you said, or even not put vocals on your solo record, but say, you know what, I'm going to hold this back next Dream Theater record. Maybe this is something that James is going to want to sing over. Anything like that, or is it just okay. like, no, this is what I'm doing now, and I'll worry about that when I get to it. Right. I mean, there's a little bit of consideration of that. I mean, I'm I'm glad that you're picking up on that because that's that again is what keeps things interesting and driving. I mean, melody is such a huge part of of music. I mean, it's so important. It doesn't matter if it's guitar playing the melody or saxophone or vocal. And so you'll hear that like I'm really into the whole thematic thing. You hear that in the Odd Father, Temple of Circadia, Happy Song, uh the way things fall the guitar is taking on that role. Um, I never, for this record, considered doing anything with vocals. I wanted to keep it much in line with my first solo album, where it's just trio, guitar, bass, and drums, and it's just all about guitar. Um, But, I mean, I guess sometimes I have to make those decisions, like, you know, a song like you just mentioned, or even Temple of Circadia, like, those could have been Dream Theater riffs, but uh you know i decided to use them on this it's just one of those things where you know i'm like well all right <laughs> i'll use it on this more ideas will come you know uh yeah, yeah some of them some of them are more obvious like this is that solo album type of song and some are more like they can go either way so yeah i make that decision but it's not something i like really uh lose any sleep over it's kind of like yeah i'm going to use this one it'll be cool um, I, I remember, for example, even going back to uh, um, a dramatic turn of events um, that Dream Theater record, where I think Bridges in the Sky might have had some riffs that I was like, oh, this would be great solo album stuff. And then <laughs> I didn't do my solo album. So I'm like, oh, I'll use it here. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So it it's, and, and it the, doesn't and really the, matter too much. 
Yeah, and the other thing I think about when I talk to artists about doing in- instrumental records is that, and and I and I could be very wrong about this because I don't know the prog world too well, so maybe there's mm-hmm. been instances there that I don't know. But when you think mm-hmm. about it, it's so hard to take instrumental guitar music and cross it over to the mainstream and have bonafide commercial hit success with it. And you mentioned G3 earlier. To my knowledge, the only guy I can think of that was ever able to do that is Satriani because he had that period in the 80s where he had, uh, you know, surfing with the alien and stuff that was played on mainstream rock radio, had videos like sold millions of records and actually crossed over and became its own thing. That, I mean, I know Vi has had a lot of success, but still there's not... You don't turn on classic rock radio and hear Steve Vai instrumentals. So, so right. really, if you think about it, and I t- I've talked to Joe about this, it's pretty amazing the ability to be able to do that. It's it's almost like lightning in a bottle. I guess a one time thing that's ever happened where something that is guitar based instrumental music crossed over that threshold. And Satch is the only guy I can think of that ever pulled that off in his career. I think I think Satch wears that medal well and rightly deserves. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, I, I there might be some stuff we're not thinking of just off the top of our heads, but not on the level that Joe did it with. And it's like that is so difficult to do, but it's it's a testament to, you know, how great those songs are on surfing, you know. And talk about melody. I mean, Joe's the melody king and talk about a record that you want to listen to. The songs are great. You want to put that on, you know, it's like, that's what it's all about. Um, yeah. Joe did that in a way that nobody's been able to do that be- uh, before. I mean, there's been a song here or there, you know, maybe Eric, Eric Johnson. Johnson. Dover, yep. Yeah. I was just thinking that Cliffs yeah, of Dover a little bit. Yeah. There might be some, you know, obviously Jeff Beck did that a bit too. Like there's some, but yeah, I mean, Joe, he's in on a level by himself. It's on, you know, in every regard, but certainly in what you were just talking about, where that music crosses over on that level, you know, commercially, that that's so hard to do. It's, you know, yeah. it's crazy. So, uh, yeah. Hey, that's before why, I let uh, you go, wait, what were you going to say? Go ahead. I was just going to say, that's why, that's why he's Joe. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> before I let, before I let you go, um, any, in the downtime that everybody is laying low right now, has there have you guys uh, as Dream Theater talked about writing, recording? Are you doing anything virtually? Is there any plan, uh, anything you can tell us about the next moves for Dream Theater? Yeah, sure. So a couple of things. We uh, I had mentioned that we we had been touring and supporting Distance over time, and we were playing uh, Scenes from a Memory, uh, our concept album from twenty years ago in its entirety too. So we actually filmed two nights of that in London right at the end of February. And that's going to come out um, towards the end of this year. So that's something we've been working on that DVD, Blu-ray and all that. Um, But, you know, we've been told so many different things as far as the future of touring that it might not be until a year from now or more. I mean, maybe things can change if there's a vaccine. We're not sure. You know, I know they're booking things for like next fall. So in the meantime, obviously this wasn't our plan pre-pandemic, but we're going to go back into the studio in about a month or so and start working on a new album that'll come out later in 2021. Because, 
you know, we're not just going to sit around. We we're creative people and uh, this is what we do. So we're going to do that. We're, that's our way of pivoting. I, I know I'm sure most bands are doing the same. And uh, like you said, there's going to be a massive renaissance and explosion of new music that's going to start to happen. You know, have you, have you guys, have you guys, cr- when I did, <laughs> yeah. have you guys uh, written stuff yet or is it still too early for that? Are you throwing ideas around? Are you doing stuff virtually? Have you, have you have any direction for the next record yet? Um, we have a direction. We haven't done anything virtually. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Everything, you know, for, for, uh, for every person, it's different. I'm not really into working that way, you know? Um, so I'm not like really interested in doing it that way. If, if it were to come down to that type of thing, I'd rather just wait. Like, I, I don't know. It just seems weird. Um, not to say that we couldn't trade ideas and files and stuff. We do that all the time. Um, but we're planning on getting together. So, um, you know, hopefully that won't change, you know, and things won't, uh, go in a worse direction with the world. But, um, yeah, it's, it, we're not planning on doing a, a virtual situation. Um, and we do have a direction, not something that you want, you know, ready to talk about, but I'm excited yeah, that's about what I was it. I going to ask you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure fans yeah. chomping at the bit to hear because you guys go, you know, whether it be conceptual or different pieces or whatever, you nothing you're willing sure. to say yet as far as where you're where you're yeah, going. Yeah, not yet. We we always try to have a plan, but I don't usually like to give it away because then, you know, what if the plan changes or people speculate or whatever? I'd rather just kind of make it our internal plan, and then people will know sooner than later. But uh, um, yeah, that's what we're going to start to do. So I'm looking forward to that, and that'll take us into. Uh, you know, through the end of the year into the next, and then we'll see where, where the world is at, you know, when live performances can start again. And one, one last thing, one last thing I just thought of. So dream theater as a touring act would obviously draw more people and play in bigger venues than John Petrucci as a solo guitar show. And the, and, and anybody you talk to about this pandemic, it will tell you that when shows come back, the the it, they're going to start with the smaller venues, the clubs and the theaters. Would would you mm. like to do live shows with with this for the solo record if that was comfortable and safe and permitted before you know you could go on to the bigger stages? Well, sure. I mean that that's a great thing to bring up. I mean I hadn't really thought of it that way, but if that's how this kind of like slowly starts to open up, why not? You know, that would be a fun experience to play this music live. Uh, I now have catalog in my solo career for the first <laughs> yeah. time. So I'm a catalog artist. So I, I'd have enough material to play and, uh, and sure. Why not? You know, I, it, it's, it's really weird, Eddie, like with, you know, the information that's out there and how they're saying this is going to open up and when, and it's a lot of conflicting information. So oh, I don't think anybody we'll knows. We'll see how it pans <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody truly knows. I think every day is a different story. And I just had a story at the top of the show here today before you came on where here in New Jersey, they're going to allow concert venues to open, but only at 25% capacity or 150 people max. And that doesn't work for the business model for these venues because they can't pay an artist and only sell that few amount of tickets. So yeah, everybody's trying to figure it out. And it's just 
a lot of frustration and people are doing the best they can given, you know, given what they have to work with. Hey man, listen, um, it's great catching up with you. I got to run. Everybody check out John's album, Terminal Velocity. It's out now. The physical will be out in October. I look forward to that as well. And best of the family. Stay well there and hopefully we'll, we'll get to, to hang soon one of these days. Absolutely. Thanks for spending the time, Eddie. I appreciate it. As always, great talking to you. Glad you're well. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon, man. This all fun. right, man. Thanks, John. Take care, okay. all right? Well, my thanks to John Petrucci of Dream Theater. Check out his new album, Terminal Velocity, out now. Coming up next on this week's Double Dip podcast of great guitar players, John Five. Stick around. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, it is Ross Tucker from the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, among other NFL-related podcasts, the former NFL offensive lineman, and yes, we are going to have an NFL season. It is here, thankfully. So, if you want to bet on the games, it is the Even Money Podcast. If you just want to play fantasy football, Fantasy Feast Podcast, or every day your NFL fix, the aforementioned Ross Tucker Football Podcast. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The next John I have for you is the great John Five as I bring you two great guitar players on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Enjoy a conversation with John about his new live album and a whole lot more. Your lighting, my friend, is impeccable, I may say. It's amazing because I'm just sitting on my couch and I have a little light on me. <laughs> it's, it's, you, you've done your fair share of Zooming during this quarantine. Uh, you've made some great videos as well, performance videos, some really funny stuff I've seen you do. Your wife has made some cameos in some of the stuff. Have you had fun being home all this time doing this stuff? You know, I, I enjoy being home, but I will tell you, I miss the road and i miss people i miss you know like talking to people i miss just people in general and when this is all over i'm gonna oh my god i i had a really long talk with zombie today and i was like oh my god you know i'm so i can't wait to get back on the road and i just miss people in general just like everyone else does well, speaking of Rob, and of course we're going to talk about your live record, but you had said a couple of times the new zombie record you think is the best one he's ever made, and of course you're a part of it. I'm assuming like everybody putting out new records, it's been backburnered because of the pandemic? You're absolutely right, but um, it is, I can't say too much, but it is coming out. It is coming out, and I'm super, super excited about it. Because, uh, you know, we were listening to the first single and it's just like, oh, God, because, you know, listen, I'm a white zombie fan. I'm a Rob Zombie fan before I got in the band. And I know this stuff. I know the music. I know because I'm a fan and I'm super excited about it. And I think everybody will be. It's really heavy, too. It's like, oh, man, this is like and but it's really hooky. It's I'm super excited for it. And I know you're going to really like it. I'm looking forward to it because I know you've told me about it, and uh, you know I'm 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 psyched to hear it. Has Rob been on the East Coast or West Coast? I know he lives 
you know, Connecticut and there in LA. Where's he been hanging? He's in Connecticut. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's here. In- he's on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He- so, um, yeah, he's he's just over there. I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to get out with the band and do stuff as well, right? Oh my God, he's so excited. It's funny because every time before we went on on stage and there was like an intro, um, you know, and I would stand next to Rob like before we walked out on stage and I'm standing with him and I would point out to the crowd and it was this massive crowd and I would always say, Rob, you know, these are the golden years. Like, look at this. This is so amazing. And I think about that now today going, wow, if that wasn't the truth, you know, because you miss it and you appreciate, and I always appreciated it. And I always said to Rob, these are the golden years. Look at this. You know, this is incredible. And I would give anything for that right now. Yeah. I I give Rob a lot of credit and you play a big role in this as well in the way he has stayed relevant and kept his career made it bigger than ever. I mean, people forget. I mean, Rob's been doing this now a really long time, but people don't look at him as this sort of heritage classic rock guy. He's still very relevant in what he does. And the band, I think gets a lot of credit for that too. And he has said that to me when I've talked to him in the, in the past, he's not always liked the bands he's had around him. But one of the reasons why he's so driven to make new music and go out and still tour is because of people like you and the guys in the band now, because he's really having fun with you guys. So that's got to feel really good to hear. It does feel really good. And, you know, a lot of people don't know what it's like backstage or off stage because he's very private, but, I'll give you a little, you know, a clue of what it's like. We are always together. We have one bus and we always travel together. We're, (laughs) and we have like four dressing rooms, but we're always in one dressing room in like a small dressing room. And then when we go to catering, we go eat, we all go together. So we're all together and all we do it might be a little demystifying, but all we do is laugh and have a great time. We have so much fun that us four, we have such a great time together. Well, I'm, I'm smiling because I've been to enough shows, zombie shows with you in the band yep. with him backstage, whether they be shows or festivals where what you're saying is completely genuine. I mean, I've been in that dressing room with you guys just sitting around talking and it's, you know, I, I think, I think people see Rob and they think, and they see you and how you guys get into the costumes and all this stuff and the makeup. I'm like, Oh my God, those guys must be back there sacrificing goats or something. When in right. reality, it's very chill. Everybody's vegan. You're all sitting yeah. around, you know, sipping a water, maybe, maybe juicing something up. It's, it's not this rock and roll debauchery people would expect from a band that, that looks like you guys. Right. And you know, listen, <laughs> we tour and we want to put on the best show possible these people, they spend money, they have to get babysitters, they have to pay for parking, drinks, and the last thing you want to do is not give them a good show because you're not feeling good from the night before. And I have such respect for people going to shows and, and you know doing that. I always want to try to do the best show possible for people. Hey, we're going to talk about your live record here in a second, but before we we got on the air during the commercial break, I heard you talking with 
my producer, Ed, and you were because sw- Ed will find any way to crowbar in a Rush mention into this show almost every day, <laughs> him being the Rush super fan. What you were saying, what was your first Rush experience and how did it impact you? So my very, I loved Rush, you know, I, my first album was uh, a farewell to Kings. I was really, I loved Rush very much, but I was too young to go see them. But I remember that when they were coming to town. So my first time seeing Rush was on the Signals tour and I wore my Signals tour shirt in my um, high school, I, I mean, in my school picture. So I was 12 years old and I like took my school picture and I was wearing my Signals tour shirt. But I remember how amazing it sounded because I knew every song, you know, on the album Chemistry and, you know, Digital Man and Losing It and everything. But it sounded exactly like the record. And I was like, whoa. And I said to myself, if I ever play a concert, you know, when I was so young, but I remember if I ever play a concert, I want it to sound just like the record because I loved it. You know, when you're a kid, you know, every drum fill, you know, every guitar lick and every lyric. And it's, that's important to a kid. I mean, improv is very important, but it's just like if you have a piece of music of Mozart and you're like, well, you know, I'm going to throw in some licks on top of this Mozart. You know, you just don't do that. So I really love how Rush is live. It's just unbelievable. What was your very first rock show? Oh, it's the best story. Okay. 1981, I was 11 years old and I saw the Rolling Stones. And But who came out first and opened the show was Iggy Pop. And then oh, wow. Santana and then the Rolling Stones. So the very first person I ever saw on stage was Iggy Pop. And I was like... Ah, you know, and I was so little and I was like, I don't like this because he was insane. And um, but it was a phenomenal first concert. I mean, that that one's a hard one to beat. That is the Stones with Iggy Pop opening. That's crazy. Did you ever meet Iggy? Yes. Yes. Really cool. Super, super nice guy. Like what a talent, you know. Did you ever meet the Stones? Yes, I have. You did? Oh yeah, I have a great Ron Wood story. Okay, because you please were tell about- please tell your stone stone story, and then I, then I'm, we're going to get to your record. But we'll take the hour, so don't worry about. It. We're not in a rush. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. We're just chit chatting. So that's as we um, always do. <laughs> as we always do. Okay, so my I guess like my Ron Wood story is really cool. So I was playing this show with Slash called Slash and Friends, and we we're in Norway in Oslo, and we were, it was like Slash, Ozzy, Fergie, myself, Ron Wood. And so we're all on this plane and we're like, you know, when you're like sitting on the tarmac and you're like, man, why are we sitting here for so long? And I noticed everybody else is on the plane, but Ron Wood's not there. And so we're just kind of waiting, 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 like, you know, where's Ronnie? And so here he comes. And I was looking, I remember looking out the airplane window and you could see the walkway. And it was one of those clear walkways. So you could see people walking and here comes Ron Wood with a cigarette in his mouth and a clear garbage bag full, this, the huge full of cigarettes. And I was like, how rock and roll is that? And he's walking down the, like, and he's got his young girlfriend or, and it was like, so rock and roll. And he's like, sorry, mates. 
and he sits on the plane and then I had the room right next to him and we just hung out for, you know, a few days, you know, and, and it was just amazing. Did he smoke on the plane? Did he smoke that pack of cigarettes on the plane? Did he smoked he smoked in the shower. Everywhere. No, and um <laughs> but my Mick Jagger and Keith Richards story is not as exciting. Did you I met used, them? Yes. So I used to be a valet at like fancy um Hollywood parties, you know? So I worked at this thing called Chuck's Parking, like, you know, when I was like 19 or 20 years old and it was some event and Keith Richards walked in and I was like, Oh my God, you know, Keith Richards. Hey, I'm a big fan, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't care. You're going to get fired. But, and then I saw Mick Jagger and I was like, fuck Mick Jagger. You know, this is amazing. Cause I love the stones. And so I had to, I got in Mick's car and I drove around for like, you know, 20 minutes in his car. You did. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know if it was a rental. It probably was, but it was a really nice car. And I was like, I'm doing this. I don't care. This is is awesome. Because, you know, when you're a valet, you kind of just stand around and wait for everyone to come out. You have so much time. And I knew they weren't going to come out because it was a certain time when everybody was going to come out. So I was like, dude, I'm taking Mick Jagger's car and, you know, and (laughs) driving around. Joyriding. Joy riding yeah. in Mick Jagger's car. Did he tip you when he picked the car up? Oh, yeah. They're so cool. They were so sweet all the time. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's too good. That's too good. All right. So let's, let's, um, speaking of, of Zombie, now, for people that don't know, you did a great live record with Zombie that came out. I don't know how long ago. It's probably 10 years already since that came out, that Zombie Live. But that's a really, that's one of my favorite newer live records because I still love live records. You did your, you did a live record with the creatures not too long ago, which was all done at one show in Pennsylvania. And right. now you've got the new live thing coming out, which is from a, a bunch of different sources. Is it out now? Give everybody the story on the new live record. So here's what's going on. And I had this idea. There's no rules now of putting out records. You know, you could pretty much do anything. We could do this interview, press it up and put it out on iTunes if we wanted to. So I thought, you know, making records is so, uh, it's such a big thing for me and it's a lot of work. And I go out and play these new songs live. Not always, you know, sometimes I'll play two from the new album on this leg and then two different ones on this leg and so on and so forth. And I recorded all the shows because it's really easy to record shows nowadays before you would have to have trucks and people and this, that, and the other thing. So I thought to myself, how cool would it be to do, to record and make a live record from each studio record? Just like if there was a women and children first live or a fair warning live or a hotter than hell live. And all those songs were played live. I mean, I would have been in heaven. So that's what I did. We just picked the best performances and I, I, and I thank the people so much. And I just, I, I cannot be so thankful, but it's the, it's the biggest selling record I've had is this live record. It's unbelievable. I'm like, I can't believe it. And I thank the people for that because they're all a part of it. It's really, really good. And you now, now tell me about this because you have, there's an accompanying video 
with it as well, which I watched and I texted you right after I was floored by it. The editing of it, the way it's done, the way it samples from all of these different spots. I'll be honest. There's a lot of these long form videos that I'll, I'll click around and jump around because I'll lose interest in them after a little while, even, even no matter how much I love the band. It's like, I don't know. It just, my, my attention spans not there for them all the time, but Yours, I watched the whole thing, and I honestly was never bored because it was so creatively cool the way it was cut and the stuff that was interspersed in between. So how can people see the video and get this whole package and talk about putting that together? Well, I do have, you know, thank you, Ed. That means so much. I do have this great team behind me, and I treat them like gold because they're so important. Like, the guy that was filming this and editing this is his name is Mike Savage, and he works. He's worked with you on your um, with you a lot and behind the camera. And um, he's with me, just, yeah, he's done your your TV show a few times. He's he's been running the oh, camera. Really? Yeah, sent me pictures. And oh, this guy is brilliant, and he does the editing, the filming. And then my producer, Barry Pointer, it's like these guys are just incredible. And I just love these this group of people that I have. But you can see the like the download on Vimeo and and um it it works anywhere on any TV, anything like that. And you could watch the concert and you know it's it's just so cool because I use myself as a as a fan, as the people. I would love to see Rush or Van Halen or Kiss like on a, you know, a concert from this album or something like that. And so I just use myself as the audience and it really um, seems to work. And I talk to the audience and I talk to fans and people and say, you know, if you could have it anyway, you know, and I listen to what people say. And, and that's the difference because I don't know all the answers, but I love to listen to people and ideas, you know, and it really helps a lot. And that's why I, it, I am doing this live record. It's great. It really is great. And is there going to be like you, like you gave me some great stuff in physical packages, the thing with the box, the last record came in the box with the stuff in it. Are you going to do that? Is there going to be a physical release of this where whether it be vinyl, CD, DVD, any of that, is that available yet? Or is it coming or there? Everything is available. Like the, we're doing the pre-orders, but because of the virus, um, we're in such, we're in like kind of a queue, if you will. So it's, you know, taking time because there's a lot of things coming, but there's vinyl, there's shirts, there's CDs, there's everything. And, you know, we don't price it high because I want people to have this. I want, you know, kids to have it. And we've already sold out of the first shipment of vinyl and they haven't even sent them out yet. So I just thank the people so much. And, you know, the kids buying this stuff and, and adults and everything because I just do this because I love playing guitar and it's turned into something that is bigger than I would have ever thought. And I just am so thankful for that. On that last tour you did with the creatures, because up till that point you were, and I came out to see it a few of the shows where you were doing your own show. It was your own deal. I came to see in Dallas, I think, but then on this latest run of touring, the last run you did with those guys, 
you were opening for Queensryche because I know when even you can even see Queensryche's gear as cutaways in some of the video, you know, behind you. So was much of this record shot and recorded on that or were there other dates in there as well? We recorded everything because I wanted good takes and I didn't want to overdub anything. So we recorded every show and (laughs) everybody in the band is such a perfectionist and, you know, yeah, I miss that. I miss that. Oh, but it was such a, you know, so we just recorded everything, everything, everything. And it was wonderful touring with Queensryche because the fans, you know, there's Queensryche fans and they didn't really know what to expect when I came out. And it was, Ed, it was so great because these people were in the front row and, you know, there was a ton of my fans, but then you saw the Queensryche people that were up against the, you know, thing. And I came out and I'm like drooling and there's like tits <laughs> on the thing and there's like blood and there's like all this stuff. And they were like, what is going on? What is going on? And I would, you know, I would drool a lot when I'm playing and stuff and, you know, girls would reach up and grab the drool and their crowd was like, <laughs> what is going on? But Ed, I swear to you, every, at the end of every show, they were all on their feet going crazy. And that's the magic, you know, of like touring with people is trying to like say, hey, check out this other music, you know, and, and that's mm-hmm. what I really like. Yep. Again, the new John Five and the Creatures Live. Where what's should they just go to your website if they want to order, pre-order, tell everybody where to go? Yeah, just the website. It's everywhere and uh everywhere digital music is sold and then the physical stuff, you could just go to my website and uh, What's the site again? Is it John is it John Five dot com? Yeah, John John dash five dot com because somebody took John Five dot com and they're holding it for ransom for like a hundred thousand dollars. Of course, uh, John dash the number five dot com. Go there, get all your John five info and check out this new live record. It really is killer. Now, speaking of this live record, we, we can't move off from the live record without mentioning sort of the grand finale of the record, which speaking of being in LA, I was actually physically there when this happened where yes. you had some friends come out and we all love Van Halen and you jammed a Van Halen classic from women and children first talk about the, uh, the rendition of uh, take your whiskey home. That's on the new live record. So, and I'm so happy you were there by the way. I mean, it's just, it just, I, it just makes a memory so much better when you have your friends there to experience it. So whenever I'm at the whiskey, I always have some buddies come like Nikki six or Ace Freely or zombie or anybody. And now this time I had Michael Anthony, Corey Taylor and Fred Corey. And I was like, let's do take your whiskey home. And everybody's like, okay, cool, cool. Let's do it. We're going to have fun. So everybody showed up and we rehearsed it. So we went in this little room, this other room, and it was just us four. And we went through it and we were like, great. Sounds awesome. And then I started playing something else. I think like you really got me. And then everybody kicked in. It's just like, you know, the other guys knew it, of course, Michael Anthony, but the other guys knew it. It's just like as famous as happy birthday. So we were like, yeah, that's so fun. And then, and then I started playing running with the devil and they were like, yeah, yeah. We were like playing along. And I think someone goes, okay, John's time for you to go on. So we go, I go on and 
you know, we play Take Your Whiskey Home. The crowd absolutely goes crazy. And, um, I mean, Michael Anthony, it's like, it's so great. It's Insane. like, you know, my hero, my hero, my guy, you know? And it's like, I'm up there and I'm looking at him and he's singing and playing. I'm like, this is too weird. And then I think it was because it's, I have this recorded and I was listening to it. And I think Corey Taylor takes a mic away from his mouth and he goes, should we do something else? I don't want to get off stage. And I said, it's a live show. Who cares? But I didn't say to them, hey, we're recording this, you know? So I started, you really got me. And I think I'm going to just release you really got me because it came out so good. It's, it came out so good. And that just ruled. And then we even, he was like, I don't want to go. What else can we do? So, and we're all huddled, you know, on stage talking, what should we do? What should we do? I don't know. Let's do Running With The Devil. Okay. So we all get together and we do Running With The Devil and it's all recorded. And I think I'm just going to release those because it's, it's just a part of that thing that got captured. You know, it's really cool. You, well, you should. The energy was incredible. I remember I was up right by the soundboard on that perch on the second level, and just the place was packed, and the energy in the room was great. And you, you, you know, you did a great performance, of course, with the creatures, and then to bring those guys out was so incredible. And and just for a second, and I love Corey and I love Fred, and they're both great people, great musicians, great friends. But can we talk for a second about Michael Anthony because oh. he is one of my favorite people in the world. When people ask me all the time, who's some of your favorite people to talk to Michael and Sammy for that matter, come to mind immediately. But Michael is, I mean, he, he's just one of the most wonderful, nicest, best people. And he was like, even for me, I'm not in your band, but I'm saying to myself, you are on the stage with the bass player, backing vocalist, now, I, I know you made records with Roth and all that, so I know you swim in that circle anyway, but still, you're playing Van Halen songs live with Michael Anthony, who, by the way, looked happier than you to be up there <laughs> doing those songs that night. I mean, I'll tell you, Michael is the best guy, and what a phenomenal musician. I mean, that guy, I was we were listening to his tracks because everything was separated and it's just, it's, it's experience, Ed. It's experience. He was playing this stuff. And of course, he's played it his whole life. But it was so in with those drums. And then the guy starts singing. And it's ridiculous. It's right. It's so, it was so great. I was like, we have to, like, this is too perfect. And I sent this to him. and And I sent it to, you know, everybody and they were like oh my god this sounds so good but he is such a pro and he's like just such an amazing guy i was like just blown away it was just 14 12 11 year old me just like listening to those van halen records and now i'm up on stage with them it's just unbelievable it's just crazy that i've had these experiences that i've never thought would ever happen in my life but to see him up there bopping around playing the bass singing with that big smile on his face singing that high part to take your whiskey home and all that. And he's just, um, 
he is a he is an original member of one of the most important bands in the history of rock music and the way he acts and conducts himself you would never know it and i mean that in the highest compliment he doesn't big time anybody he's like the most regular grounded good guy i mean i get a every time it's my birthday he'll text me a happy birthday i'm just like this is just stupid because this is michael anthony and and he doesn't have to do this, but he's just that kind of guy. He's as as great as he is as a musician. He's just such a wonderful man. He's just a great person. And why not? Like, what a life that guy has had. Why? I mean, I'd be like the nicest person ever. Like, what a phenomenal life this. But guy you know, had. there's a lot of people that aren't like that. Entourage. Oh, call this one. That you need something from Michael Anthony. If you're lucky enough to know him, you pick up the phone. You call him. He's he's yeah. just the best. I know. I'll, that's why you learn. I always say, and I was like this in high school, in junior high, I treat people how I want to be treated. I was nice to everybody. I said hello to everybody if it wasn't cool or if it wasn't. It, that didn't happen with me. I was nice to everybody. I said hello to everybody. I sat with everybody in the lunchroom. It didn't matter to me. And that's how... I think, you know, Michael is, it's like you treat people of how you want to be treated. Hey, we were talking about documentaries a little bit, and you were suggesting one off the air to me a second ago, too. Now, a little while ago, you sent me a, a cut of a documentary being done about you that looked fantastic. What's the status of that? When can we see that? How far down the line is it in terms of being made? You know, it's it's... It's hard for me to talk about because, I mean, a documentary being made about myself, which is strange. You know, I'm not doing it. That this Mike Savage and this team of people are doing it. But, you know, like, who am I, Abraham Lincoln? But it's like, but there's this, because I would talk to Mike and there's just such a crazy story and not a lot of people know about, about me and, and things like that. And they were like, this is a crazy story. So, um they're making this documentary, and I, I again, I feel strange talking about it, but um, it's you know they're they're doing a phenomenal job, and hopefully we'll see it next year. It's just it's crazy to me that it's being produced and everything, and it's being done big time too. So I mean, I'm very thankful for it. Yeah, it looks incredible. When you say there are things people that don't know about you, are you talking about personally or or professionally with artists you've worked with? I uh, know personally and stories and, and things like that, that I, I don't really talk about, but um, you know, I'm going to just talk about it and why not? Maybe it'll help some people. Maybe it won't, you know? So it's just, it's just a, a, a fun story. And I think um, hopefully it, it will inspire some people on the way and um, you know, take it in a very positive light, if you will. What was really funny is during the commercial break, we were talking about something with Kiss, which we can't say publicly just yet, but John was telling a story, and like out of nowhere, our program director, Roger Coletti, just materialized on the screen. It was like sending up the Kiss bat signal, and Roger emerged, um, and now he's disappeared again. He's hiding behind the scenes, but he brought up a good question as we were going to the break or coming back from the break. Who could not love the Knights and Satan Service Instagram account? With all the great John Five collectibles in the Kiss world, what are the latest acquisitions, John? Well, latest acquisitions. Let's see. You know, 
a lot of people now get a hold of me and say, oh, you know, this person is getting rid of their collection or that person is getting rid of their collection. There was this one person um, who was in Florida who was a collector from the 70s. And he actually, when you're a police officer, he was a police officer, but he, you could also work security when you're a police officer at concerts. So he got to know the guys over time and he's, you know, has all this really cool stuff. So I just acquired some, uh, some of the early from the hotel diplomat and the, um, things like that, some things like that. And, uh, some really early things that you will see very soon on the Instagram. So really great stuff. And, and it's great. history. It's, it's, It's wonderful history to see this stuff. Hotel Diplomat, that's as early as it gets. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's really neat. I, I can't even imagine. That's incredible. Hey, let me ask you, um, speaking of Kiss, you're on Ace's new record again. The second, your your next, your latest appearance on this Covers Origins record. I think you're on two tracks on it? Yes, that's correct. Um, and, you know, just like you, Ace is our buddy, and and uh, he's our hero. And, and uh, But I heard I'm Down, which is a... Beatles, you know, was on early Beatles and which we love and, and, and all my people are calling me like crazy. Um, yeah, I know I got to try to try to figure out because my, my phone's connected to my, uh, computer. Anyhow, so, so it's, it's really cool because his voice, Ace's voice on that song, I was like, Whoa, dude, his voice is really great. And then his guitar playing is just killer. So that song came out really well, really, really well. I'm super psyched about it. So you're you're on I'm Down, and what else? I'm Down and Politician Man. Okay, right. So Ace will yeah. be on with me sometime in the next week or two, and we'll talk about all this. But it's cool that you're on you know, on there again, uh, you know, doing another another round on the Origins cover series. Now, let me ask you this one. So. When we were at the Rainbow, I don't know, a year or so ago, we had talked about this David Lee Roth record that you did that's been in the can forever. You even played a little bit off your cell phone on the air that night. Did you have you heard have you talked to Dave now that he's back out playing again a little bit? Is there any plan on that thing to finally ever come out? Um yes, actually they've got a hold of me just a little while back and um, it looks like it is going to see the light of day a lot sooner than later. So, and I'm super psyched about it because it is really like it's done live. Like they used to do the Van Halen stuff, you know, but it's more in the vein of like, um, could this be magic or damn good and things like that? Because it's like, just, and it's got that old David Lee Roth voice, that real low and like just like that soulful David Lee Roth. Like it sounds like it could be something off, you know, uh, you know, like Women and Children First. Like could could this be magic or something like that? It's really great stuff. So it will definitely, definitely see the light of day uh, sometime very soon. How long ago did you finish it? Because you've sort of been sitting on it. He's been sitting on it for a while, right? Yeah. And the reason, you know, the reason, of course, he's been sitting on it is for good reason. Like he was doing Van Halen and, and all that stuff. And, you know, between me and you, I, I mean, I want to see Van Halen and, and 
the music can wait that we did, you know, it's, it's, I think it's much more important to the world to have, you know, the Van Halen guys together doing shows. So, um, then having this music come out, but now that not a lot's going on, I think it's a, a good time for the music to come out. And that's, that's what I think is going to happen very soon. But for you as a musician, it's got to be agonizing to know you made a, a whole record with David Lee Roth. Not your first, by the way, for people that don't realize this. And somebody just called my attention this the other day. Hey, did you ever hear this record, DLR band? I go, oh, yeah. I go, that guy named John Lowry on there, that's actually John Five, but that was your first. That's a ripping hard rock record. That DLR record is really, I think, very underrated and overlooked in the Roth catalog. Yeah, and Dave was very ahead of his time, you know, like, because if you got one of those records, this is what's very interesting about that record. It was on what was that records. Right. I remember Dave Dave pressed up all those CDs Ed, and he, everyone, he made all those CDs. He was doing that all himself. I remember we were in that office and he would like, he was, he was putting everything together. It was unbelievable. And this was way before anybody was doing that stuff. And he's super smart with, with those things. And he kind of created his own thing and, and uh, took charge in this and how, how it wanted, how he wanted it to sound and how he wanted it to look. So if you have one of those CDs, it was made by Dave. Yeah, I actually do. And who else was on that with you? It was you. Was it Ray Luzier on drums? Ray Luzier, yeah, yeah, and Terry Kilgore. Remember Terry Kilgore? He was in the. He was like an early guy around the Van Halen scene on guitar, right? Exactly. Yeah, he did a couple of songs, and then a uh, uh, Michael Hartman. Okay, so yeah, well, actually, I think Terry ended up doing like one of the Roth records, one of the very last ones under right. Warner Brothers, if I'm not mistaken, too. Yeah, but it's yeah. that it's a it's a ripping record, so people should definitely check that out if you get the opportunity. Uh, and the the last thing I want to ask you about other stuff is the um is Halford has a book coming out about his whole career and his history, which for people that they may not realize, you were a part of the band too. Which, if we're being honest with the metal fans, was a bit overlooked and not exactly warmly received at the time it came out, but. Did Rob talk to you at all about his book and what, what were your recollections about working with him and two? I, I don't know if I am in the book. I don't know. I, uh, I hope I am. And you know, me and Rob of course are good friends, but I don't know if I made the cut. I think I probably did, you know, cause listen, at that time we made this record and it was, but we have a heavy version of that record with, you know, super super heavy just all guitars it's kind of like um you know more of a rock straight ahead rock cool record and but then he went to go he went to new orleans and worked with trent Reznor. and i went and did a tour because i was you know trying to make a dollar everywhere i could so i went on tour with some other artists for like rca or something they hired me to go play and I didn't go to New Orleans because I had to make a buck. So I, so Rob went to New Orleans with Trent and they kind of reworked the whole record. And I remember Rob sending me versions and I'm going, oh no, like where's the guitar, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, man, where's the guitar? Because the guitar <laughs> was, I was super proud of it. But um, 
I really think that's a great record, but um, I personally, I just wish the guitar was in there. I mean, maybe that's me just being selfish or something like that, but um, you know, of course I love Trent Reznor. It's like one of my favorites. But that's that's an interesting point that there that there's an could be a a great alternate version of that that maybe would appeal more to Halford's natural fan base. That would be really cool to see that come out. Yeah, you know J Five would have released that a long time ago. <laughs> Did you were there live were there live shows for two? I don't remember. Did you tour with him? Yeah, we toured. We did shows with like Rammstein when they came out, and we did a lot of great. You can go on, um, <laughs> you can go on YouTube and and find these shows. But I used to dress. You know me, I'm pretty crazy, you know. But I used to dress really nuts, you know. Uh oh, I think Ed Robinson hopefully will not pull up a picture and show it on the. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> so I used to dress really crazy, and I remember Rob saw us live one time, and there and Rob, I think Rob pointed out like what's going on with that guitar player, you know, because I would dress really, really crazy. So, uh, but yeah, we had a blast. Halford, I swear, Halford's voice, it was very strange. His voice was like perfect every night. It was really, it was the weirdest thing. I don't know if he's a real guy. He might be a robot. <laughs> I'm, what I'm really laughing at is you're telling me that Rob Zombie was blown away at how weird you looked, and that was coming from Rob Zombie. That's that's in and of itself pretty pretty amazing, right there. Yeah, but no, Halford, man, his he his voice was like God, and we would do some priest, you know, songs. And what, this one time, Tony Iommi was going to meet us. We were in New York. I forget the venue. Uh, either it was like the limelight or not the limelight. I don't know the venues that well in New York, but it was like a famous, you know, famous place, Hammerstein Ballroom or something like that. We were playing and Iomi was coming. Tony Iomi was coming. We we're like, okay, we're going to do Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. And we're going to do it. And I remember rehearsing this with Halford, which he nailed it by the way. And <laughs> this is so funny. So we're like at soundcheck in New York and Iomi's and Tony didn't show up. He had like something happened where he could not, I think somebody was like in the hospital or he just couldn't make it. And this was before like the internet. So we would, you know, had to go on the mic and be like, you know, Tony, Iomi is not showing up. And there was a riot. There was a riot. And I remember all of us in this upstairs dressing room, and the crowd was going crazy. And I was like, that was the one time I was actually like worried, like, cause there was no way to get out. There was no window or anything. It was just the door to the stairs, the stage, and they were getting close. And I was wow. like, oh. so, uh, that was another fun experience. Hopefully that'll make the book. Well, thanks so much to John Five, and thanks earlier to John Petrucci for joining me on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episode, of course, as usual, next Thursday. Follow on social media at Eddie Trunk. EddieTrunk.com is the official online home. Thanks to Katie Irizari. She is the producer of the podcast, and I'll catch you next Thursday. Have a good week.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.